Today's show is brought to you by IBM. Technology today has never been smarter, but smart only matters when you put it to good use. Together, we can build a smarter future for all of us. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com smart. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode, and you're listening to Too Embarrassed to Ask, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. This is a show where we answer all of your embarrassing questions about consumer tech and the week's news. You can send us your questions on Twitter with the hashtag Too Embarrassed. We also have an email address, tooembarrassed at recode.net. Reminder, there are two R's and two S's in embarrassed. Today on Too Embarrassed to Ask, I'm in Washington, D.C. with Paul Rabel. He's a professional lacrosse player, but probably the professional lacrosse player. He's an entrepreneur, and he's the host of the podcast, Suiting Up. I heard about him because both of my sons, actually, uh, one of them's here going to be on the show, Louis Swisher, uh, told me all about him. And when I mentioned that you tweeted back at me, Paul, they went crazy. Um, and this is how much I don't know of what things are happening <laughs> online. Um, so we're going to talk about sports and tech and business. So, Paul, welcome to Too Embarrassed to Ask. Thanks for having me. I and think I've tweeted at you probably a lot. A hundred times. And here yeah. you are. I'm a on big your fan show. of the show. I'm excited. It's really I know. To be well, here. in any case, I would say I'm a big fan of your lacrosse work, but I'm not. Okay. But my kids are. So, <laughs> so Louis is well, also thank you, here. Louis. I appreciate Louis. you hosting me. Yeah, Louis Swisher is also here. He's been a guest host with a lot of things, especially talking about technology and how teens look at it. Welcome, Louis. Uh, thank you for having me again, Mom. It's okay. Sorry. Right. No, it's not nepotism because you actually do get a lot of uh, audience seems to like you. Um, so, Paul, we're going to talk about a whole bunch of things, um, mm-hmm. but I want to sort of get into the idea of you as an entrepreneur. Give me your background a little sure. bit. Sure. So, I grew up in Montgomery County, Maryland, in a middle-class near home. Here. Near yep, here. Right, right near here. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom is an art teacher. My dad was in printing and sales for a while. Now he's working with us on the op side of Rabel Ventures mm-hmm. in our event business. Um, they always encouraged us to play a lot of sports. It was pre-technology kind of social media. So we didn't have mm-hmm. mobile devices and we'd go outside and play with friends. And my dad would always say, like, if there was a sport that you wanted to play that we could afford it, we'd get you in it. Mm-hmm. Lacrosse came to me at this convergence of AAU basketball and club soccer, mm-hmm. wanting to kind of have me commit to either of them exclusively. Mm-hmm. I wanted to keep playing both, so I was given a spring sport to play. My neighbor gave me his backup equipment, same to my older brother, who's now my business partner, and we started playing lacrosse. Mm-hmm. There's this stylistic component to the game. I shortly after dealing with a lot of the challenges of the technicality of it mm-hmm. and the rules and being able to catch and throw and all the challenges, got better, fell in love with it, decided to go long there, went to Johns Hopkins, played lacrosse the there. Be- one of the best lacrosse schools. One of the best lacrosse schools, mm-hmm. 44 national championships, seven post-NCAA era mm-hmm. in the early 1970s. Hopkins and Maryland hosted their 118th rivalry game. Oh, wow. Sports Illustrated calls it a top 10 college sports rivalry. Right. They've only missed two games during World War II. Oh, wow. Yeah, so wow. like the, the history behind lacrosse is huge. The Native Americans started mm-hmm. it as early as the 17th century, as accounts go back, and then European immigrants, as they colonized, they took over the game and kind of commercialized it to what it is today, and it's Canada's national team sport. So I was drafted to play professional lacrosse in 2008. But it's not here. Let me get, it's not yeah. here. I mean, we'll talk about sort of the popularity of sports and what the, how they jump online. I want to talk a little bit about the tech around it. But it's not been a sport that had been big here until recently. And it's certainly not big on the West Coast now. Sure. And many would argue that it still hasn't capitalized on its potential commercially. Mm-hmm. So the game has been the only team sport in North America to grow year over year at the participatory level for the past 15 years. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of eyeballs on it. And that proliferation has gone east to west. 
and we've seen high schools now sanction the game. We've seen non-endemic brands come in and spend, mm -hmm. but there's some professional overlap. There's some discrepancy on like brand recognition and affinity mm -hmm. for the sport at the highest level. And right now, the younger kids that are playing look at the peak of lacrosse in college. College, right. Right. So what you need as any sport, and you look at the big five is what they're called, but traditionally mm -hmm. the big three of the NFL, NBA, and MLB, is they have to be top down. Mm -hmm. If there's no commercial approach or no commercial strategy where non-endemic brands can come in, broadcasts and, and networks and cable companies can spend to really bring in revenue, right. mm -hmm. then it just becomes, it's just a bottom-up sport. Right. So right now, it's important to have that base layer of participants mm -hmm. all the way through high school and college, but we've got to open up more right. and That's figure out how to commercialize it. Kind it kind of reminds you of, of sk uh, skateboarding or, or exactly. all kinds of things that have sort of, or, or extreme sports. Yeah. And, and why I was excited to come on this podcast is like, tech times sports is critical right now because we're seeing over the last decade this convergence of modern media and mm -hmm. technology that's created this ecosystem where it's never been a more advantageous time to be a niche sport mm -hmm. and be able to capture an audience and monetize. Right. Previously, so, so when I, you asked me about entrepreneurship, so when I graduated in 2008, there this was professional Hopkins, lacrosse right? <laughs> yeah, from Johns Hopkins but everyone was considered a weekend warrior. They'd have a job on Wall Street. I took a job in real estate for eight months. So you're before. selling houses? No, I was in commercial real estate right. with a group here in D.C., Cassidy and Pickard, mm -hmm. before they were acquired by Trillian Martin Tucker and then spun off again. So I was an analyst on their investment sales team. I jumped out eight months later because this was in 2008. So it was the pit of the real mm -hmm. estate economy and all that was going on. So I was on like Argus, you know, creating models for mm -hmm. buildings that weren't trading. Anyway, I... Uh, I decided to try and build a career beyond a part-time professional league where our wages are lower. Mm -hmm. So I started running my own camps and clinics. And then I looked at Facebook where they launched their first fan page at, at that time, mm -hmm. where previously they would cap a Facebook friend group to yeah, 5,000 people right. or fewer. So our games in college on ESPN inbounded a bunch of friend requests and I would accept all of them and then I was capped. Right. So they launched a fan page and for the first time in the modern era of sports, an athlete didn't have to require a sports center to give their sport or themselves coverage. Right. Exactly. Because you could do it on your website so or on Facebook, excuse me. Bingo. So for me, I was like, wow, this is something that's pretty seminal, I think, and I'm going to commit to being an early adopter to new technology as this space proliferates. I had no idea where it was going to go. Well, it's the only way you can go with a niche sport, right? That's or niche right. anything and stuff like that. So it's interesting because how did you, Louis, how did you get into lacrosse moving here? Or Well, yeah, when I moved here um, on the first day of school, I, I showed up and they said, oh, you're going to play lacrosse. And I just said, okay. And then I went with it. Because it's it was just there. Oh, yeah, because it was available. It was a new sport. Um, I was interested in it, and I wanted to play it. Right, and I wouldn't let you play football also. Yeah, so it was the closest thing to it, yeah, I guess. Which is, <laughs> which is like the story that we tell, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I mean, cause, which is amazing. So you're introduced to lacrosse. It seems like a fun sport. It's got the endurance level. There's contact. There's a style component to it. Uh, but then we're seeing all these macro trends in football and, and not to disparage that sport, mm -hmm. but the concussion you studies that are coming out. It's fine. Yeah, the concussion studies that are coming out. Right. Um, you know, the, the, the broader, like, cannibalization of, of mm -hmm. what the NFL is doing, you know, hosting games on every night of the week. And, um, and then, you know, we're seeing participation dip mm -hmm. and then actually be kind of non-existent in major markets. So new players are looking at joining other sports, and lacrosse is this emerging vehicle that's exciting 
think soccer has seen growth from it as they're well different, and basketball. Yeah, yeah, they're different. They're all different, meaning that I, I think lacrosse is, a, is football, is the next football. It seems to me it's got the same, it has elements of it that's a little le- different than soccer. Anyway, yeah. it's an interesting thing. I, I'd be curious to your thought because I, I do think there are certain product alterations that we can make to it. Um, Adam Silver was just in an interview a week ago. and said the head what, of the NBA. Yeah, commissioner of the NBA. And he uh, had said the two things that they have going for them that they feel like no other sport has is they have no helmets on their players, mm-hmm. so you get to see these people. Right. And then their players stay on the court the entire game. Mm-hmm. So in football, in lacrosse, uh, in hockey, there's mass substitutions that happen. It's right. tough to, as a kind of a, a, a nascent it. viewer to understand what's going on. Right. I think the ball's tough to pick up on television right now. Right. So anyway, NBA has that going for them, and I think there are certain things that lacrosse, and we're seeing other sports address, like the length of the games, these two-hour broadcasts and such. No, I'm gonna, I want to use you as sort of the vehicle to talk about this idea of where sports are going and the, and the niche sports. Is, and I know, like, Louis, you watch a lot of unusual sports online, right? That's where you find them. Like, you don't watch football. No, I don't really follow any sports. Where do you, fo- do you, fo- where do you follow things, like, with, for your lacrosse stuff? What do you mean? Where do you follow things on, online when you're doing... You have a fan page, you do... We you don't see. Really- you have a your team does doesn't we it? have a group chat we yeah have a group a, chat how do you think how do you think about watching sports right now well I I was never really a big fan of watching sports I preferred playing them mm-hmm. um I you know kind of, I like going to live games because it's it's, you know, it's exciting and you're in the moment but um I could never really sit down and watch um, a sport like the two-hour broadcast on television yep um I can watch lacrosse games more because it's more of a, it's more of a it's a fast game, but it's also there's a great like there's grace to it and like there's it's I guess I essentially I just prefer playing the game, but lacrosse has more of appeal than yeah. like football. But, but or, how? Right. But the fact of the matter is, younger people don't watch sports in the same way. It's right, not, that's not necessarily true. well. Do you, who what? what is a your lot point? of people I know are like very dedicated to watching sports. To watching sports so, live. Or? Yes. Yeah. So well, sports is sport. Here's the thing about sports, and, and we're seeing this massive uh, content race right now. Mm-hmm. The, the the major five sports, they're mm-hmm. they're licensing deals with television and cable networks that are up in 2021 and 2022. Mm-hmm. You have these tech platforms that are coming in that are already starting to bid, bid right, on rights. Google, Amazon. Facebook, Twitter, Hulu mm-hmm. even, and then Netflix. Reed Hastings is going to get in at some point. Yeah, He's he bound is. to. Yeah, news and sports, I think. Right. So they have so much in cash reserves, mm-hmm. and, and they're spending a ton on content. Mm-hmm. So these networks right now, they're, they're all um, coalescing, right? Mm-hmm. So ABC, Fox, NBC, Viacom, mm-hmm. Time Warner, AT&T. Um, or CBS, Viacom, NBC, Sky. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing this because they're trying to combat and position themselves. They but have the, to. The way that I've never felt sorry for AT and T until now. Everyone's yeah. like, "Oh, this big merger." I'm like, "Oh, they're in big trouble." Yeah. With Google <laughs> and Amazon and right. And, and so, but what they do have to their advantage is that they're like the affinity brand, mm-hmm. and their business is built on advertising. Mm-hmm. And so, advertisers can look at number of eyeballs, and YouTube announced 1.8 billion monthly actives, and they launched YouTube TV. That's probably around 400,000 subscribers right now, so it's low, but they're growing it. But you can put as many metrics in front of a brand manager. They'd still rather be attached to ESPN, CBS, NBC, Fox, so they have mm-hmm. that affinity going for them. Right. But to Louis's point, um, you know, video on demand, called VOD, mm-hmm. um, and highlights are where Gen yeah. Zs and millennials are consuming content. Definitely. Bleachers long there, bar stools long there, 
uh, House of Hoops, House of Highlights. They all got acquired by these groups. These like Instagram channels that have built these mass followings that cut small licensing deals with leagues and show highlights and mm-hmm. then add memes to them and animations. That's how people are consuming right now. Right, exactly. Mm, definitely. So talk about, let's use it for the lens of lacrosse. So you finish college. There's nowhere else to go but play it on the weekends. There's no higher right. level. So what happens? Yeah. There's now a league, right? A yes. League. So there, there's two professional lacrosse leagues. There's Major League Lacrosse, and then there's the National Lacrosse League. Mm-hmm. The NLL, going back to that Canadian origin connection to the sport, is the indoor game, so mm-hmm. box lacrosse. MLL is outdoor. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an overlap in season schedule. So if you look at the interest of these private investors is to be attached to the spring because spring has identity with lacrosse. So spring also for the arena owners in the NOL represents probably most vacancy outside mm-hmm. of NHL and NBA teams that make the playoffs, which are very few of them. So it's in the interest of owners of the to arena to get through spring. And out. So, so there's like a bit of a conflict there, which is hurting the game because mm-hmm. most people don't know A, who the pro leagues, or if there is a pro league, and then, wait, there's a conflict, there's two different ones, and mm-hmm. they're different properties in and of themselves. Um, so, nevertheless, like, I played in both for seven years. I only play in MLL right now because of that overlap. Mm-hmm. I play with Team USA. We have our World Games, which comes once every four years, this July, um, in Israel. There are 58 participatory countries. Mm-hmm. In 2001, there were nine. Um Jim Schur, who's the CEO of the Federation of International Lacrosse, he was formerly the CEO of the USOC. Mm-hmm. He has completed an application with the IOC to get Olympic recognition again. Oh, really? I didn't really see Which it. would be huge yeah, because absolutely. if we get that recognition, it's less about when we're going to be on TV and playing and more about the governing bodies per state than Consider unlock, it an Olympic res- sport. unlock resources right. and give it out on a pro rata basis. So when you have like, I, I, you know, I've written about the bowling league, all these different leagues, yeah. the, the extreme sports thing. Extreme sports is really the only one that sort of broke through. So if you're a sport, there's never been more chance to break through now with all these different platforms, but it's difficult. So talk about the challenge. So you're just a player. Yeah. And what? So what we know is that at least trends show that people are more geographically agnostic. So mm-hmm. they, they care less about the name on the front of the jersey and mm-hmm. more about the name on the back. Mm-hmm. And the oddity in that is in sports, you preach the opposite. And you have to commit to team. it to be successful as a team. They always say there's no me in team, but there actually is. But there, go ahead. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> there's an M and an E. Yeah, sure. yeah, exactly. So... Uh, what we look at is the players are the assets. Going back to Adam Silver, who I think is probably the best. We just had him on sports. stage at one of our events. Yeah, exactly. Is like they, they invest in their players. They don't restrict their players' voice, and they mm-hmm. allow them to uh, be activists. Mm-hmm. So you got to get your players to build and access these platforms, create social celebrity around them. You got to tell their stories, mm-hmm. and so you can do that through original programming. UFC is an example. Yeah, when UFC. Dana White was forty million dollars in the hole. They paid, they did a time buy on Spike Television at the time to launch Ultimate Fighter. So mm-hmm. they educated the market on what UFC was, and they told stories about their, about their fighters like Chuck Liddell. Mm-hmm. We look at WSL, so World Surf League. They're in Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. They're kicking ass. They're all about new media. They have a Facebook partnership. They have a great mobile app experience. Mm-hmm. They tell the story of their surfers. Professional Bull Riders Association, same thing. 
uh, street league skateboarding, similar to oh action goodness. sports, as you mentioned. I didn't know Bull Riders had a whole thing going on. Bull Riders has a, have a huge thing going on. They just sold the WME a few years ago, uh-huh. and that was a break off of players from the status quo. Right. Chipped in two thousand dollars each to to start their own league based on where they because these leagues are go. sort of in the in the ancient times essentially. Yeah. And, and these are all sports that that we consider have product market fit to use like a tech term. Mm-hmm. Um, then you look at Drone Race League. And what they've done, mm-hmm. and they're basically a media business. They're not like a fan experience, mm-hmm. but drone. They build a, a business out of these uh, these like you know tech savvy athletes who are flying drones in an arena and they're winning races. Who are flying drones? You'd have to consider them athletes because it's it's technically a sport similar to esports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they're selling we'll ten million dollar sponsors a year now because right. they're getting eyeballs through right. new media. So yeah. it comes down to how are you showcasing your athletes and how sophisticated are you around media and how are you presenting the media? Even how how Louis had talked about how is how does he want to consume it? Yeah, let's present it to him that way. Yeah. So, do you follow players or do you follow teams when you think about it? When you're thinking about lacrosse and, or or whatever. Lacrosse. Well, I I think um, usually it seems to be there's a bigger presence of college lacrosse than professional lacrosse, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, definitely some people like a lot of my friends they follow are on the team they follow a lot of college lacrosse heavily. They go to the games that are nearby. They watch the games every weekend. Um, like personally, I I really don't follow any sports. I just mm-hmm. like playing them. Uh, but I do end up following uh, players somewhat. You just need re- him, right? I know, definitely. No, you, everybody, everybody plays well, lacrosse basketball, right? All right. Well, do you watch but my YouTube what? channel? Uh, sometimes, yeah, I do. So you're on it right now. So Brett Roberts is here, and he's recording. <laughs> but yeah, so that's an example of like how we invest in right. content. So right. we're lean. So talk about that. Everything. Talk about the YouTube channel. Tell, explain what you're doing. Sure. So so Brett's here and he's recording. And what we look at around you know being thoughtful with with social media is is how do we storytell? Mm-hmm. What's the cadence of which we're delivering content to our audience, and then how are we engaging with them after the content's delivered? Mm-hmm. So there always has to be a methodology around it. And then to get really deep into the into the way that we're thinking about every piece of content is similar to what you would learn in film school. So what's your act one, act two, and act three? Mm -hmm. So you're not just like pushing out content that no one understands Mm -hmm. with bad copywriting. Right. So it's a part of a longer story. So for me, I tell the story of what it's like to be a professional lacrosse player. Mm -hmm. There's a lifestyle component of what I do daily, and then Mm -hmm. there's the entrepreneurial component. So how do I think about it? And so this is really interesting because on my Twitter exclusively, I talk more about business and uh, my podcast and mm-hmm. hard skills, soft skills, stuff that I've learned and people that I've met. So this fits really well. So where does the sports get into it? It's, you know, it's it, where do the, the game, because that used to be the, the show was the game itself. Exactly. So what we'll do, and, and we have, have to have conversations with MLL mm-hmm. on a case-to-case basis, mm-hmm. but we enter a licensing deal with them so we can take 30 seconds of my of game at play. a time right? and then trickle that into. And, and so leagues will have certain carve outs, but in the end, MLL knows just like NBA knows. Now, none of them are true open source to athletes for mm-hmm. content, but they know mm-hmm. that because platform access is ubiquitous, that it's going to be kind of that rising tide lift all ships style. So, uh, I don't put out a, a lot of highlights because of certain restrictions. Right. But I think, again, the story that we tell is like the humanizing thing. Like I always think about Michael Jordan back during linear television. Mm-hmm. And he was the Nike. He was the Gatorade. Um, he was the McDonald's athlete. Mm-hmm. And everything was highlight-based. And then when Gatorade launched their Be Like Mike commercial, mm-hmm. it made him feel real. 
mm-hmm. you connect with him, and he was playing right. with young basketball players. And we think we do that every day. Right. That right. you're doing this. So what do you need the league? I mean, it's interesting because when I think about all athletes taking control of their their social media presence, they take control of their Twitter, you know, all kinds of areas. They're individual entrepreneurs. They should be individual entrepreneurs rather than, you know, I see them as servants of these rich owners. Like, yeah. that's how I, th- I look at it. Like, what do you do? It's like Hollywood actors, the yeah. same thing. Well, it's a, it's a great question. And it's, it's like an intellectual exercise mm-hmm. to try and think about it objectively. Mm-hmm. Um, the folks on the sports teams that I know at Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, and, and I, I try to work with them regularly to, to learn how their platforms are iterating. But they've asked me to speak to athletes from time to time around mm-hmm. ways that we use their platforms. Mm-hmm. What they always fall back on is, number one, most important thing is that you're performing at a high level for mm-hmm. any athlete. So you mm-hmm. need a game to do that. Right. It's like your validating mechanism. Sure. That doesn't mean that you can, when you're retired, everything shuts down. Mm-hmm. You just take on a different life and mm-hmm. tell that story differently. But you're right for the most part. If you're smart around content creation and you're trading attention and you're offering free content that when you build your businesses or you make investments that people will follow because of that loyalty and connection that you've made. But what I'll tie back into the broadcast standpoint and what we're seeing now with rights fees Mm -hmm. is that 75% of live programming right now that's being consumed on television is sports. Mm-hmm. The other 25% yeah, is like the Oscars, news. the Academies, news. it's NCIS, and mm-hmm. it's Big Bang Theory. Mm-hmm. So like everyone is, is, is looking to spend when the NFL deal is up, they're getting $6.6 billion a year across all the networks mm-hmm. for rights. NBA is getting 2.2. All the soccer platforms overseas are getting at least a B. Um, MLS is getting 100, NHL is getting 200. WWE just signed a deal with Fox yesterday mm-hmm. that took their annual revenue for licensing fees from 150 to now 400 a year. Mm-hmm. So you can just tell that these networks know how valuable live programming is to mm-hmm. supplement their VOD, mm-hmm. which if you look at Netflix, is all VOD. Amazon's all VOD, mm-hmm. and that's a good space to be. Right. But if you need to have advertisers, you need to have live programming. Right. So what are the platforms that are helpful to you? I mean, I know we were just yeah. asking, Lou uses Snapchat. He just doesn't. Uh, what do you use? What do you use? Snapchat, YouTube. I use Snapchat, YouTube, Instagram. Uh, Snapchat, YouTube, and talk, Instagram. talk about the differences to, to explain. Like, what do you like about Snapchat? I mean, I just like it. I use it as a mode of like talking to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I use it way more than texting, and that's what I mostly like it for. Uh, you can like take pictures and send them easily with like little use of data. And that's pretty, I like mm-hmm. that a lot. So it's like a peer-to-peer. Are you following um, celebrities on Snapchat? Um, I I used to, yeah. I mean, I still do, but since like the, the new redesign. update, yeah, I haven't really been We're able to be see their stuff. We're going to be speaking to Evan about that at Code next yeah, week. Yeah, you he, love Evan. I you do. He's a creative I, genius. I think he's a creative genius, even though he can be other things. Uh, yeah. But he's definitely is. But he's this new redesign is problematic. Yeah. Because you don't you didn't like nobody Evan. likes it. Because they combined or they, they it was just they they just, it was they they took something that was like everybody liked and it was perfectly fine and then they just you know with a curveball just changed it without asking. It, it's an interesting dilemma for him to be in, and I, I certainly don't envy it, nor do I have the, the skill sets to make these types of decisions. But it reminds me when I was uh, a little bit older than you, but when Facebook was I, I adopted Facebook my sophomore year in college, so they were f- first just for universities. And then when they opened up to the public, they launched a news feed mm-hmm. and people were, were protesting and right. they were closing down accounts. They're like this right. news feed idea of like, I only want people to know what I'm doing who are thinking about me and click on my profile and read. So the UI UX of these platforms, 
Like, I know that there are data scientists and psychologists that they They hire that are in-house that figure out how our brains work. And so I suspect that with Snapchat, which I don't use as actively as I used to. But you don't use it as a sports person either. It doesn't give you any... No, I used to get a great pop on it. And then I have to be really mindful of my bandwidth. Mm -hmm. And when Facebook decided to go after them directly, I have a bigger audience on Instagram. So my Mm -hmm. Instagram stories just take, uh, you know, just take priority. And you're in the stories, Mm -hmm. not the feed, right? That's right. So I model my feed. I curate my feed more carefully, and then I allow more conversation and connection with my audience across Instagram stories. Because? It's uh, it's video that goes away after 24 hours. The expectation aesthetically isn't where it is across your feed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people will literally... When, when social media first opened, the novelty of getting access to an athlete or an entertainer or a thought innovator or leader... Was, was such that like, wow, I'm going to follow this person because mm-hmm. that's awesome. As social media has proliferated, it's become our online identification. Mm-hmm. So people are super mindful of who they're following, their ratio of followers, mm-hmm. um, what they're posting. So it's not enough just to be like, oh, LeBron James is there. I like LeBron. They'll click on LeBron's profile and say like, is this something that I want to be associated with? Uh, does he align with my views? Because all that stuff is really critical now. So when we look at how we're presenting our profiles, I mean, you have to try to be objective and parse out mm-hmm. you know, the personal attachment, especially if you're going to go along to your point around entrepreneurial and mm-hmm. entrepreneurialism and media. It's like, how are we presenting it? What's the likelihood of a conversion to a new fan or a new follower? Right, which and, is what your goal. Exactly. Which is your goal. All right, when we get back, we're going to talk more about the platforms and where sports, niche sports especially, are going online. We're here with Paul Rabel. Paul, you have to, we're going to talk to our sponsors because I have to make money too. Can you give me your best reading of the line, hashtag money? Yeah, <laughs> I need hashtag money. Oh, that's good, but I need it more. I, come on, Okay. Paul. Come on, you're... <laughs> You're, you're a famous lacrosse yep, player. Yep, I need hashtag money. Nice, well done. <laughs> Today's show is brought to you by ExpressVPN. It lets you privately and securely surf the internet at really fast speeds without being tracked by anyone. ExpressVPN encrypts your traffic and personal data while hiding your IP address. That means hackers, governments, and internet service providers cannot see what you're doing online. And installing ExpressVPN on all your devices is as simple as downloading an app. It takes only a few clicks to install on your desktop, laptop, smartphone, and tablet. For less than $7 a month, you can safely surf public Wi-Fi spots in Starbucks, hotels, and airports without having to worry about having your personal data stolen. To take back your internet privacy today and find out how you can get three months free, go to expressvpn.com slash T-E-T-A. That's expressvpn, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash Tita for three months free. Don't put this off. Protect your internet and data with ExpressVPN today. Today's show is brought to you by IBM. By 2050, the world population will reach nearly 10 billion and food production will need to grow by 70%. What if artificial intelligence could help? Farmers are already using it to help increase crop yields. Watson and the IBM Cloud provides access to weather data and analyze satellite imagery to help them monitor soil moisture levels and to reduce water waste. So as the population grows, more food can be put on tables. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com smart. And we're back with Paul Rabel. He's a lacrosse star. I wanted to talk about entrepreneurship in sports because I think it's changing really drastically. And we're here also with my lovely son, Louis Swisher, who's an enormous rabid fan of Paul Rabel, but also has been on the podcast many times to talk about trends that teens are into. Mm -hmm. Louis just turned 16. 
Happy, Happy birthday. birthday. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and he has, he's not liking Snapchat these days, but he uses it excessively. Um, uh, and you were talking about um, uh, YouTube and stuff like that. And we're going to get to that in a minute. Yeah. But let's get, have some questions from our readers and listeners. Sure. Carol Lurig has a question for the Paul Rabel Foundation, which helps children with learning differences. She says, I'd love to know what inspired your nonprofit and what implementing your core objections look like, the how, as it were. I'm a mom of a daughter who struggled in school, who is resilient enough to push through to succeed in part due to new school and more modern curriculum offered. I'm interested in his perspective on the state of educational institutions being as nonprofit could help fill some gaps. Yeah, that, that's a great question, and I appreciate you bringing that up, it's more of a, an emotional piece for me as an athlete or anyone who's built uh, a connection with an audience <laughs> that cares about doing good by the community. It was always instilled to us by our, our dad and our mom. But I grew up with learning differences. I have auditory processing disorder. I have ADHD. My sister has dyslexia. Um, I always had access through the school system to extra time on tests, note takers, uh, my sister went to the lab school here in Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. and from my perspective, uh, struggling in school growing up, um, having most of my interest in sports, had I not had the opportunity to play sports to gain confidence on the field that I could then kind of match with lower uh, self-esteem in the classroom, I'm not sure where I'd be. Uh, so that's kind of part one is like, wow, lacrosse not only has created an opportunity for me professionally, but it really helped me as as a younger boy in school. And uh, the flip side was that I remember my parents living in the county in, in, in Maryland having to figure out a way to fund my sister's education at the lab school because scholarships were only coming through residents of D.C. Mm -hmm. uh, so they went to court to try to figure that out, didn't win it, but would drive her back and forth an hour and a half into school so she could get bespoke education. Because right now in many of the states, uh, the reason why in the public school system kids are placed in the LD department that's mm -hmm. not uh, carved out based on their specific learning difference is mm -hmm. that the state actually doesn't recognize one learning difference versus another. Yeah, which they are. So some states do. So that kind of forces the hand of parents and kids then to go to a school right. that specializes in that education. Right. So what we did was, you know, I used to contribute to charities. Then I said, okay, I have the attention of, of lacrosse. Well, let's do something small. Now, we, uh, we understand that it's a competitive space, just like business, frankly, mm -hmm. nonprofits are, and raising money is really hard. But we work with Bill Belichick, who has a similar foundation, uh, working with younger kids through sports, and he's a former lacrosse guy and friend mm -hmm. of mine. And so that helps with raising money when you can align <laughs> with Coach Belichick. Mm -hmm. But uh, we have a scholarship program that we give out to families uh, on an annual basis, and we start lacrosse programs at those schools. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. All right, next question. Louis, please read it. Gabriel at uh, Diablo Robotico says, it can't be all roses and sunshine. What has tech taken away from sports? Ah, what has tech yeah. taken away from sports? Great question. And I mentioned the, the humanization piece during the old MJ ad with mm -hmm. Gatorade. So mm -hmm. one big piece that we've seen over the past five years and a lot of venture money going into it is wearable tech. Mm -hmm. So you have Apple and Fitbit that kind of own the market share of that category. But then you have... Uh, a company called Vert, you have Catapult, oh, and you have Stats. All. You know, I call them unwearables, but go ahead. Yeah, well, it's it's the problem, right, mm -hmm. is is that they try to test out high performance, but their wearable tech falls off mm -hmm. for the most part. So that that's like the, the real challenge. I think the place that they'll get to is more of like Band-Aid tech, mm -hmm. but then you run into the challenges from an economic standpoint of building a business around something you have to pull off and put something new on every mm -hmm. time. 
Um, but wearable tech, we're getting to a place, and sports are experimenting with it. Where can you? Sh- how much can you showcase to the consumer? How much can you tell the story to the coach and GM where they're making decisions based on heart rate, nerves, blood temperature, mm-hmm. uh, all this type of stuff that can lead us to make a hypothesis on performance in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. But what they'll never be able to tell, and this is the answer to your question, is how Michael Jordan, and obviously I'm an MJ fan uh, for his performance at least, how he had the flu in that game seven of playoffs two dozen years ago and scored 40-some points that came from behind, all of the data would have showed that you should actually shouldn't even be playing Michael at this moment. So athletes uh, have this level of compete where they take it beyond expectations and what we could ever measure database. So it's called humans, being human. <laughs> it's called being human. It's called being. having, yeah, like so the do you think? But heart. do you think it takes away, lots of kids are doing other things. They're doing you know, yep. Instagram, they're on Snapchat, they're yep. watching videos. I don't know what you do with your, what do you do all day on that phone? The other night he was up all night. I don't know what he was watching. What were you watching? I just talk to people. You were just talking talk to people. To people. Yeah. But it takes away from the way we used to consume media. Yeah, I think that for the Sports most part, there's this notion that like, oh, when I was younger, we would go outside and play all day. And now, you know, younger kids are, are on their tablets and stuff. But the flip side is I also think they're they're far more informed mm-hmm. than we were. Right. I mean, I didn't know the first thing about how the world functions, much less like investigating my religious point of view, my mm-hmm. politics. Right. In uh, understanding business. So, like, content, the, the plus of having access to content is ubiquitous. Now you have to cut through the fake news and all that other stuff. But activity is critical. You can use technology to try to gamify and encourage activity. Mm-hmm. You can use it to gamify and encourage mindfulness, which Headspace has done. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's the, the plus side to it. But I think ultimately we've got to figure out ways how to create time away from devices. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a parent, but I've heard plenty of parents, and I've heard yeah. you and Scott talk about it on the mm-hmm. show too, like how do we get our devices out of our kids' hands. Except their they're, they're, devices will be more helpful to you as a lacrosse player in a, in a weird way because you don't have the mass media kind exactly. of thing. Yeah. All right, next question. Vignesh R. Iyer asks, can we use AI to enhance the ticketing system, use social media profiles, and suggest co-located seats for friends buying tickets to the same event? I think the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, artificial intelligence and a lot of the ticketing software, whether it's food delivery mm-hmm. uh, immediately from the vendor to your mm-hmm. seat, can make the experience more romanticized and like, hey, this is going to be great. But if, if frankly, if, if you're looking for that during a game, watch it from your sofa, yeah. right? Because the, the technology that we're seeing, like, Intel and their TrueView system, and they're installing this in all the NFL venues, but 38 cameras, all 5K, and they create that 360 technology. It's like VR, Mm -hmm. where you're, it's just like an incredible experience from a screen. So if you're going to a ballpark or going to a stadium, I think that yes, they'll be able to create some systems through AI that like allow you to connect with peers, but Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that that's what the operators are really looking to. Um, underscore and enhance. They're looking for the eyes to be more engaged on the field. On the field itself. Yeah. But the idea, would you put on a 3 d helmet in the stadium? In like, a stadium? Like, Oculus. VR, uh, Oculus kind of While thing. I'm watching in yeah. the stadium, no. What if you could be right up next to Michael, right, could, could be right next to him? Why, why would I... Why, I, I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of uh, VR and AI, yeah. personally. Uh, 
I guess I, I, I like living in the moment and I go to watch the game from where I got I'm my telling tickets. You, like Generation Z is different. Gen Z. Gen Z. Well, He's I, deep Gen Z. So, so you mentioned the problem with wearable tech. I think the problem with VR right now is it's so immersive. Mm-hmm. Like you put on this headset. Right. And, and it's almost it's almost worse than being in a movie theater. Mm-hmm. Some, mm-hmm. I like to go, the only reason I like to go to movie theaters now is you completely get away from everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But part of the viewing experience of sports at home is you're on a couch with your peers or your family. And, and like you're talking, you're on a second screen, right? There's data, which is the first screen, which is the second screen now. But you're doing a bunch of things. You're cooking. When you throw that headset on, it's like you're kind of in an alternate reality. Right. And I yeah. think they need to figure that out. But AR is We actually did that recently yeah. with the AI. Yeah. Moment. Yeah, we did. Uh, and was, we did this thing called Carne y Arena, and it was the immigrant experience coming across the border in wow. Mexico. And it was, what did yeah, you think they, of it? It was incredible. Like they put you in a room where there's like, you have to take off your shoes and socks, and you, there's a dirt floor, and there's like a lot of space to walk around, and it's like a process of getting stopped as an immigrant. And it was really and they they wind incredible. And you could, yeah, you, you could felt, feel the wind. Oh, I was, love that. It, so, was, it was incredible. Yeah, I so think, I was thinking in sports, you could. Wh- why not be you? So like see it through your eyes. Wouldn't that be interesting? Yeah, that be interesting. So, so I think AR VR's best uh, positioning here in sports is educational. Mm-hmm. So so that could be like skill development. Right. So Striver is a group out of based out of Stanford. Mm-hmm. That's where they started, at least throughout West, that that uses VR specifically for athletes to take reps mm-hmm. where there's no contact. Mm-hmm. So they create the plays live and then athletes will throw the headsets on their B2B business and they go rep after rep after rep and they're and they're improving their talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other piece like educational would be like learning about a sport learning about, you know, immigration through Ellis Island. I I think that that's like a really immersive Mm -hmm. and uh, exceptional experience. And that's probably best position. But if you're going to watch a game, I think, again, it's just like too close off to the other stuff. What about, say you were watching Paul play and all of a sudden as you're watching play, you're maybe more of an AR experience, augmented reality, where you'd see the last three things he did or what was, what's the, all kinds of history. Well, I think that could like, help a lot like as a like I, I play lacrosse and as a defender like if you could see it through the eyes of like a professional defender who knows what to do who knows mm-hmm. when to slide knows when like to rotate and like a man down uh that would just be like really helpful for a lot of people who don't understand any of those expressions so, so but I, I i think it's great so we're speaking the same language but <laughs> I, I don't think that that so there's technology there that's mm-hmm. that's curating so one company is called action streamer and mm-hmm. i know you're close with uh ted leonsis mm-hmm. but they, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they invest, but they're they're using them through Monumental Sports Network. Mm-hmm. But they're really small head cams mm-hmm. that have solved with their IP the latency challenges of taking mm-hmm. the feed immediately to the broadcast. Mm-hmm. So they're integrated into the helmet, so you can take the POV of that defender that you're talking about, mm-hmm. and then you times that by Twitch, which offers like multiple viewing experiences. Mm-hmm. Another uh, startup is called Kizwi mm-hmm. that basically took the production viewpoint. So if you go to a truck, Kiswe, yeah, okay. K-I-S-W-E. Mm-hmm. So if you look at a production truck and they're always calling, go to camera one, go to camera seven, go to, like you get that experience as a viewer and you can touch which camera you want to go to. So they took the, the, the production truck to life. Huh. So I think that to your point is exciting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that's where like these niche sports can go to that's what I mean, yeah. networks and say, let us be your Petri dish mm-hmm. and test this stuff out. And then if it works, cause we're trying to all trying to like increase watch time and engagement, then you plug it into the big five. Right. And then it's just, you, you can get your only the smaller audience. That wants that's it. where our chance yeah. is as, yeah. as our sport. Like right. let's, let's be a testing yeah. product. And the last you. point I ask how you're going to make money at all this last question here. <laughs> 
this is from Stanford Crane. Uh, other than you, who are the three greatest offensive lacrosse players <laughs> of, the, of the last 20 years? Three greatest of the yeah. last 20? Well, Brody Merrill's definitely one. Uh, Tucker Durkin, who's playing now. So Canadian and American. Um, and then I would say like, my college coach, Dave Petromala, he was the only person in our sport to be the National Player of the Year and National Coach of the Year, win a championship as a player and a coach. But so you're the go. number one, right? Uh, I can't say that officially. No, we don't have no official ranking it? system, but... I mean, he's, he's, he's known as the number one, I guess. Right. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> you think he is. Okay, we're going to take another break for a word from our sponsors, and then we'll get back with Paul Rabel. Uh, Louis, actually, I want you to do it. Well, say hashtag money. I want you to say it was uh, good. Hashtag money. Nice. Well done. Very nice. Okay. That was really good. Today's show is brought to you by Little Bits, an award-winning platform of easy-to-use electronic building blocks for creating inventions large and small. The Little Bits Droid Inventor Kit comes with a free app. We'll show your kids how to build a Star Wars droid step-by-step. And when they're done, they can reconfigure it in different ways to create brand new droids. There are 22 missions in the app so they can teach their droid new skills. And all the while, they're learning how to use code to control electronics. I have one that I have back at my house. I'm going to get my other son, Alex, to play it because, or do it or create it because I don't know how to do it myself. And we'll see how that works out. The kids in your life will love Little Bits, so check it out. Visit littlebits.com slash ask to get $10 off a Droid Inventor Kit. Get the Toy Association's 2018 Toy of the Year for your kids and inspire invention. That's littlebits.com slash ask for $10 off the Droid Inventor Kit. Big news, Vox Media has an exciting new project they're working on with Netflix. Here's Joe Posner and Claire Gordon to tell you all about it. Hello to Embarrassed to Ask listeners. Vox just launched a new show on Netflix. It's called Explained, and you can find it on Netflix right now. It's for people like you, people who are curious about the world around them. And here's our promise. If you give us 15 minutes of your time, or sometimes 20, sometimes we can stick to the 15-minute limit. So 15 to 20 minutes of your time will take you from being just curious about a big, important topic to actually understanding it. Our first few episodes explore things like... Why is monogamy so important around the world? What happens when we can actually edit our DNA and take control of our own evolution? Why is the racial wealth gap in America still growing? You'll see it's Vox to its core. It's a bigger and more ambitious yes, but still looking and feeling and sounding like us. And we'll hopefully give you the context and reporting and research that actually makes these super, super satisfying, I think the most satisfying videos we've ever made. So go to Netflix and check it out. You can search for it, you can search for Vox, or you can just go to netflix.com slash explained. Now we're back with Paul Rabel. He's a lacrosse player, but he's got a lot to say about tech. He, I, I never heard of any of these companies you mentioned just previously. Yeah. Um, I, I'd love to know just a few more questions we have in this episode. We're also here with Louis Swisher, my son, who is an enormous Paul Rabel fan and lacrosse player, but he also knows a thing or two about tech. All these companies that are coming up, yeah. does that make you want to be entrepreneur? Let's talk about your entrepreneurialness in yeah. sports. Yeah. Where do you see the opportunity for entrepreneurship in sports? So it, it, I think it's everywhere right now. It, it's about you know, the investors that one, get access to the best deal flow, but two, can figure out where the technology is headed, Mm -hmm. where it can be implemented. uh, If the founders are attractive, if they have domain expertise, if they're solving a real problem um, and and what their kind of strategy is, whether it's customer acquisition, B2B, B2C, strategic partnerships. So there's a lot of noise, I'll say. Mm -hmm. And I think we're in this like, proliferating entrepreneurial age. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
uh, what we've learned over time with Rabel Ventures, I mentioned my older brother, Mike. Now you uh, have a venture firm too. Yeah. What so we have a small in? investment advisory company uh, mm-hmm. that we started about five or six years ago. So our story as entrepreneurs is when we got out of school, he was in real estate. I was in real estate. We both left and we started a gym because mm-hmm. we knew a couple of things about fitness. So we mm-hmm. built a fitness portfolio. Um, and then during that time, we had no access to capital. We couldn't get any debt. Um, so we self-funded it, and uh, then we started a small business lending network. So this was before like fintech really took off. It was sure. called Endurance Lending Network. Mm-hmm. We were lucky enough to sell it during our Series A raise to Funding Circle in the UK. That spun mm-hmm. into Funding Circle USA. So we learned a lot through that process. We started a, a venture investing business from there, and we really focus on, you know, you hear this all the time, but the founders. So mm-hmm. what are their soft skill sets? We look at our domain expertise, so that's across sports media. Mm-hmm. And my me- media is from my experience and relationships that we built. Um, fitness together and fintech through Mike as he then went mm-hmm. and ran revenue for Funny Circle in the U.S. until about eight months ago. So we look at domain expertise and then is this company solving a problem and can we help with that problem? Mm-hmm. So we're early stage investors. We don't have time to manage LP funds, so it's all self-funding. We write small checks. We realize the inherent risk of going in at an early stage. That's where we focus our investment thesis. And then we hope that if we get some wins through some of our portfolio companies, which we have 12 now, wow. um, that, that, uh, that we'll then be able to potentially raise money against it. So when do you play lacrosse? I play across on weekends. <laughs> all right, okay. <laughs> I'm like curious because there's like all these other things going on. Yeah. Um, so I want to finish up talking a little bit about where sports are going. Like where, yeah. like I think that someday robots will play sports that people won't. And so for example, throw that out there. Yeah, race league. There was a, I think it was either Nike or Adidas. They had an ad like that where they replaced all the players on the soccer team in Brazil with uh, robots, or around the world mm-hmm. with uh, robots and eventually like, the sport just got boring because it was just, you know, com- programmed robots that did the same thing every time. Like, yeah. nobody won the games. It was all tied. There was no action to it or unpredictability. Yeah. It's it's a really good point. So trying to pull myself out, which I try to, especially on the investment side, trying to pull myself out subjectively, mm-hmm. is that sports betting is just so big. And yeah, now it's just been It's approved. a $60 yeah. billion dollar industry. Fantasy sports is $7 billion industry. There's 60 million people playing fantasy sports. Mm-hmm. There's traditional seasonal Fantasy, which is ESPN, Yahoo. There's Daily Fantasy, FanDuel, and DraftKings. And then there's Play by Play, which is Boom, which is a portfolio company of ours. But with the PASPA change that we just saw, all of a sudden we think that $700 million in revenue that, not, that Nevada pulls is going to turn into $10 billion over the next 7 to 10 years as mm-hmm. 32 states are projected to implement legislation around mm-hmm. it. So with all that background, I wanted to mention it is like, I don't think robotics will take over, robots specifically will take over sports or like the athlete that's playing a sport. But sport betting is that powerful that maybe it will take over at least half of it, (laughs) right? Because people tune into the NFL Mm -hmm. to watch their bet either win or lose, right? right? Statistics show that 40% increase of engagement comes if you have money on the line. Mm -hmm. So that's what excites NFL, NBA, MLB, MLL commissioners around... Mm -hmm figuring out sports betting and fantasy. But at the same time, too, yeah, maybe it encourages a world where there, there's more uh, robots playing. And What about, well, then, let me and, move to something up. What about make it, go ahead, sorry, you were saying. I was just wondering, what do you think about sports betting? Do you think it's going to, like, corrupt the game, or is it going to bring, like, a new front to it and 
and a lot of money. So, so my take on it is that it's it's always corrupted the game, and in some cases it's it's been nipped in the bud. In other cases, it's gone unrecognized. That'll continue to exist, mm-hmm. right? I think part of the the legislation around uh, the Professional oh, a- Amateur uh, Sports Prohibition Act was that the marketplace is $60 billion, $65 billion now. It's not necessarily going to increase. The, the state revenues will on the fantasy side. It potentially support, but, but like illegal gambling has always happened. And right. in a way, athletes and GMs and refs more recently have been pinched for it. So I think that with proper legislation, you have good checks and balances. Um, and, and then you just have to figure it out, much like drug testing for athletes now. I mean, there's got to be certain standards and there's got to be checkpoints. But I think overall, when we look at the economy of sports, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, Elon Musk thinks we're going to put chips in us to make us better. So humanoid, yeah. human robots, essentially. Honestly, I would put, that that might be the problem for wearable tech. I yeah. would put a chip in my body yeah. if it would decrease the likelihood of injury yeah. and tell me more about my sleep performance right. and tell me when I should stop working out. Well, it's very close to it. It's interesting. Someone was talking about making, I was arguing with a robotics person. They're like, we have to make robots more human. I said, why don't we make humans more robotic? Like, that'll be easier because we don't have to worry about, like, remember the one that was opening the door? Yeah. And like, I was like, I can do that real easy. Yeah. Like it was was like, I know, but it took forever to get the thing to open the door and they did it badly. And I was like, I can do it. Why don't you give me a special arm or special eye or some insight? That That reminded me of like a boar. It looked like if you got in the way of that thing, it couldn't open a door, but it could rip your quadricep in half. Right, exactly. (laughs) Why would I want that? why, why, Why would you want that? If I could have an eye that could see... Or get all kinds of information. Why well, I mean, that's interesting, but then there's also the point, like, you look at all, like, the movies with the dystopian future. With yes, the yes. I know, like, that's like, I, I grew I, up watching those movies, so. He I subscribes guess. to Elon Musk. He, yeah. Elon has all these things. I think <laughs> I, I, I really, I really don't. What um, if you could pick up a car? Like, what if you could use... Right, but... Uh, if, cool. if Well, you gotta think about, there's a point where, like, naturally, like, if we weren't meant to pick up, like, if we're not already able to pick up cars, we were, we meant, ever, to were we ever planes, meant, but here we are. So, like, take, so, I, I agree with both sides, and, and this is where we kind of think from an investor's perspective, and, and this is a, a different space to go in, but I think the, the equalizer here is therapy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm a big advocate of therapy. I do it personally. I started through sports psychology, uh-huh. uh, but, but, yeah, I mean, we're going to continue to see more tech, more AI, robotics get involved in 21st, 22nd century mm-hmm. uh, culture, and uh, and we have to figure out a way to stay grounded and and have this equilibrium around relationships. And yeah. so the phone takes away from it's our very real healthy, connection. Paul. Thank you for that healthy moment. <laughs> well, I need it. I, we you, would I mean, like to I've got a camera in my face right now. I know right you now. do. <laughs> I, I like it. Fascinating. But you, right, let's finish up getting back to, to lacrosse. Lou, do you have any lacrosse questions from yourself? Because I've got a few more. Uh, no. 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 Well, I don't, I don't, I can't think of any on the spot. I mean. All right. Okay. Try to think of one. And I'll think of one. But when you think of bringing lacrosse to the future, or I'm using lacrosse slash any of the, any mm-hmm. of these niche sports, what has to happen? If you could wave your wand, what would you want to have? How do you see that developing? Yeah. Because I do see you can create bigger businesses with smaller audiences if you can target those audiences. Sure. For you. you don't need to be a mass Sports don't need to be mass anymore. Hundred percent. John Steinberg says if you can get fifty thousand people tuning into a live stream daily, it's a twenty million dollar business. Right. Exactly. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were to be able to wave my wand, I would. I would think less about business ops and lacrosse and think more about the challenges that we have. So the elephant in the room is we have a diversity challenge, mm-hmm. and there are stereotypes associated with our sport. Yeah, lax bros. Yeah. I was actually yeah. I was, that was, hate I lax bros. Hate that. that. 
Um, what do you and, hate about it? It's it's a negative connotation that kind of is linked to you know, kind of mid Atlantic preparatory school kids who are privileged and mm-hmm. uh, and vote for Trump. Mm-hmm. So. That is uh, not our sport or, frankly, anyone's identity to to just be pinged. I think Mm -hmm. there's, like, some education and inquiries that need to go around, like, anyone's political views. I know I jumped there or— or uh, jump there or, or their like family wealth and, mm-hmm. and such like those are in some cases uncontrollables. Uh, but but lax bros have has a negative connotation with it. When I look at our sport, we need to be more inclusive. The women's game has grown faster than the men's game. Mm-hmm. So we need to talk about figuring out how to get women equally on the broadcast feeds of ESPN and so on and so forth. The professional game work on that. And maybe that's through coalescing with with the men's professional game. When we look at urban market growth, the challenge is that our equipment kit costs roughly around $250. I know some of the top manufacturers (laughs) are working on lowering that price point. Um, We need to work with our national governing body to get sticks in hands. And whether that's a sponsor that underwrites it or working with private donors like David Nealman, who helped fund the Utah program, Mm -hmm. like that's really important. But addressing the stereotypes, being really intentional around inclusion at the highest level across gender, across race is really important from an operations standpoint and also just like welcoming to the sport. And then last question, equipment. It's just, it's the same stick. It, I mean, you didn't have a wooden stick. I, when I was playing, it was wooden stick essentially. But where do you, do you see any pushes in through helmets, equipment? And because it's a very simple sport in terms of what it requires. Yeah. yeah so you need a helmet. Shoulder pads, elbow pads, gloves, rib pads. You don't need rib pads. A stick. Well, you don't need them technically, but... Do you wear rib pads? I don't. I actually don't even wear shoulder pads. I don't... The, the ones right here, I don't. Yeah. I don't wear them either. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a lax bro moment there. That was not a lax bro moment. That was not a lax bro moment. That was a technical moment. Okay. Okay. She, she calls me a lax bro all the time. I have to remind her I, I'm not one. Oh, you, you can know, but you go up a little like bit one. north and find a couple, yeah. but you're not. All right, you look like one. What? Hi, Mom. So, so an idea would be, okay, let's figure out, I, I think about when I used to go to, you know, a park with friends mm-hmm. or with my family, or we'd go to the beach every summer and we'd pop into a local Target or Walgreens mm-hmm. or Walmart and grab a cheap football or a cheap badminton set that's mm-hmm. sub $20. And there, there's none of that available in lacrosse. Mm-hmm. Well, there's seems, fiddlesticks. Seems to be, but not available at Target or Walmart. Or it, it, it's it, like, it's like a tiny it's a, it's a fiddlestick. So, so I think like what's really important to acknowledge is twofold. So like optics on the cross. So you're right. There are fiddlesticks. There are low price point products, but they're difficult to find and purchase. So the alignment with a mega brand like Walmart mm-hmm. and having lacrosse in the sports aisle is really important. People start accepting lacrosse as a mainstay mm-hmm. in, in like the overall competitive environment. The other thing is we are often talking about sticks in hands and equipment. I think where the sport would really benefit is to get goals, lacrosse goals, into parks across the country. Yeah. So it, it's it's an alternate viewpoint. But I think about soccer and basketball. Every street in rural America that I drive by has a, either a basketball court, they have a tennis court, or they have old soccer posts. Maybe if there's not even a net attached to it. So for, again, from an optics standpoint, if you see the six by six net, which are the dimensions, and that's mm-hmm. in feet, everywhere you start figuring out either what's that goal or you start inviting kids to go play on it. You very rarely see pickup lacrosse. There's not access to fields, not access to equipment to do that. So that may be kind of an alternate path that we could explore to grow our game. Mm-hmm. Well, 
Perfect. That's a perfect ending. Not techie. That's not techie. It's not if techie. you build it, you are, well, it will come. Anyway, this has been great. This has been a great episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. Thanks again. And I'm sorry for calling you lax bros, the two of you. That's okay. Uh, you kind of are. Uh, thanks again to Paul Rabel for joining me on the for show. For the record, I have you. jean shorts and a t-shirt. I know. So you're I'm cool not like ones, wearing a polo ones. shirt and khakis. I am wearing Sperry's. I, All right. I okay. All right. All right. Thanks for Paul Rabel for joining me on the show and my son, Louis Swisher, who's uh, also uh, plays lacrosse quite a bit. You can find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can listen to every episode at rico.net slash podcast. If you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review there. Otherwise, tell someone about the show, send an email, tweet about it, post on Facebook, or just tell them in person at your next lacrosse game. If you have other questions about any tech topic or the latest tech news, tweet them to at Recoder with the hashtag TooEmbarrassed or email them to TooEmbarrassed at Recode.net. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our sponsors and to Cadence 13 and Vox Media, which sell those ads so you can listen to this show for free. Thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie, and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back next week to answer more of the questions you've been too embarrassed to ask, so tune in then. Today's show is brought to you by IBM. 16 million new-collar jobs will be created by 2024. To help fill them, IBM's new education model gives high school students workplace experience and an associate's degree. 90 P-TECH schools are already preparing graduates for tomorrow's STEM careers. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com slash ptech.